moved to Medina, um, man, a long time ago. We bought an older home just a few blocks north of the square. Uh, it was a uh, solid house. It had some charm. Uh, French door. We were just talking last night about the, we had double French doors in a couple of places, arched doorways, hardwood floors. Um, it was, you know, you, you, we, oh man, this is, this is great. This is cool. Um, but it also had a lot of, well, I learned a lot. I learned so much about home improvement in 11 years that we lived there. Uh, it was quite an education. Uh, of all the things that needed to be updated and changed and, and uh, all, any, all this. Well, one thing that had to be addressed even before we moved in uh, was the wiring. Um, before it would pass inspection, they had to do some updates. It still had the big fuses in the basement. So the same person lived there for, man, a long time. And so they, had the, they didn't have like a box, you know, with the flipper things and all that. I'm sure it's called something, but uh, uh, they had the big fuse things, right? And um, so they, they had to put the breaker panel in. I think that's what it's called. And, um, and so they installed one of those. But even, even with that, there were still several generations of wiring that had been uh, put in over the years in that house in the 80-some years that it, it had existed. And um, all of that went into the breaker box, and that was good. And so that would meet code and all those things. But, but the majority of the electricity in the house was still... Uh, it was still using knob and tube wiring. I had I'd never heard of knob and tube wiring before. Now I am very familiar. This is what it looks like. Some of you may uh, testify to having that in your home. And that's uh, it's great. Very common to, to be in homes back in the uh, uh, 1920s, 1930s. Um, uh, but tends to be a bit outdated these days. The name comes from those knobs. And the tubes, so the tubes go through the wood, so the, the wires go up through there, and if they get hot, then the tubes protect the wood, and, and then the knobs, and, the, and you got the, the two, uh, they're kind of spread out from each other, and uh, it's going, anyway, about 80% of our house, uh, even when, after we moved in, was, uh, well, and for the years we lived there, was, was wired with, with knob and tube Wiring. Uh, some say that it's still relatively safe. Um, it it uh, the two wires separated from each other are part of that. You you shouldn't put insulation near that. Um, so things were a little drafty around our house. But uh, uh, it, it's certainly not grounded. Uh, it's especially uh, in the basement. We had you know the the joists are what about seven feet tall. You could just reach. I mean, if we wanted to, you just reach up and grab those wires, and uh, it was just some good good fun. Fun days. Um, over uh, over the years, I have always I have I have heard them re- refer to knob and tube wiring on um, episodes of this old house that I that I uh, uh, tend to watch. Um, it's always in a conversation on that show about how outdated it is and how dangerous it is and how the whole house needs to be rewired. And um, uh, all I can tell you is that we had it a lot of places in that house. No one got electrocuted when we were there. And depending on who you talk to, it can be perfectly uh, fine and safe even to this day. But it's probably not up to the standards of wiring today. We never rewired that house. Maybe we should have. I don't know. But old wiring can cause a lot of problems, right? Uh, of course, one problem is it just doesn't work. It's, it's old and outdated and maybe won't carry the load that it needs to carry. One big problem, though, is fire, right? The, the old, worn-out electric lines can spark and uh, burn the whole house down. Old wiring can be dangerous, and that's why rewiring is important. 
I told you during the season of Lent, uh, the, uh, the, the series is called Letting Go. And it's a great time for us to let go of the things that are keeping us from, a, uh, from ex- experiencing a closer relationship with God. Lent, these Sundays leading up to, uh, up to Easter, uh, is, a, is a natural time for us to evaluate our lives and, and to make adjustments. It's, it's, it's a great time to let God uh, renew us as he gets rid of whatever uh, he thinks, uh, whatever, whatever he points out that is hindering our faith. Uh, we allow God to uh, to inspect or uh, to to come in and and uh, help us to see to uh, reveal things that that maybe need to change in our lives. Now that can sound kind of scary and ominous to think that that we're inviting God to evaluate our lives and and point out our shortcomings. And we have this picture. Some of us have this picture of this God that is sitting up in heaven, just ready to uh, to zap us when we mess up. And uh, you you messed up here, and and uh, you should be ashamed of yourself there. And and, uh, and and yet, the picture of God in Scripture isn't isn't a God who's ready and waiting just to condemn us. He is a God who wants to save us from the sin. In our lives, so the theme verse for this whole for this whole uh, series is John 3.17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God doesn't want to reveal our sins and shortcomings so that he he can condemn us and shame us, but it's so that he can save us. He knows what's best for us, and he wants us to experience lives of freedom and joy in his presence. His way is better, and he wants to save us from lives that are still mired and caught up in sin. One way to think about that is to think about how we're wired. Many times we feel like we're just wired a certain way, right? We're, we're just, uh, we use that terminology when we, when we talk about our personalities, uh, or our likes and dislikes. I'm just, I'm just wired that way. It's just how I'm wired. Uh, we also use that language when we're trying to excuse bad behavior sometimes, right? Oh, I know I got angry, but that's just the way I'm wired. Uh, unfortunately, that wiring, that human uh, wiring can be dangerous. It can inflict harm, kind of like faulty wiring in a house. The truth, the truth is we are, we are all wired towards sin. We are born with this tendency to make sinful choices. When faced with temptation, we give in because that's how we're wired. We're born wired towards sin. And some folks would say, well, that's just how we are and there's not much we can do about it. I push back on that and say we don't have to stay that way. We can let go of that mindset that we always are going to just give in to temptation and sin. And instead, we can allow God to rewire us so that we can live holy lives and resist temptation. Now, I think that, uh, that, that we'd probably all agree that Jesus was wired the right way. And so maybe we can look at his life and see how uh, God might rewire us like, like Jesus as we begin this Lenten journey toward Easter. And we're going to start by looking at a, a story uh, in Matthew chapter 4 that was referred to in that video a few minutes ago. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Probably didn't have to say that. Maybe that's a little bit uh, redundant. I think we probably figured that out, but uh, it's, it's good that it's there. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell those stone, these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This chapter, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, starts with the word then. Whenever you see that in scripture, you've got to look back and see what was just happening so that you can get the context of, of what's going on. So all this was going on, then this happened, right? So, so we, need to, we need to back up just a smidge and see what was going on before this whole uh, scene in the desert. At the end of Matthew chapter 3, we see that this is the setting of Jesus' baptism. It was, it was quite a scene. We, we, we won't read it today, but, but uh, John the Baptist is there. Jesus shows up. John doesn't want to baptize Jesus. He's not worthy to. Jesus talks him into it, says, yes, we need to do this. Uh, then Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water. you got the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. You've got the voice of God from heaven proclaiming that this is my son whom I love and I'm pleased with him. And I mean, it's quite dramatic. It's a, it's a, it's a very dramatic. It seems like a pinnacle moment. For Jesus, we'd almost expect the next story to be about Jesus' fame spreading, right? Lights and cameras and followers. I mean, this is the guy that he came up out of, and the, and the dove and the the voice and and God. I mean, this got to be. This is. I mean, he's an influencer, right? This. I mean, if this was today, this was this is. You know, he's he's going to have millions of of followers and viewers and all the things, right? So we, we have all that, that big dramatic story, Jesus, baptism and all the things. And then, then uh, chapter 4, verse 1, then, and we would expect maybe we could say, then Jesus got famous. Or then everyone loved Jesus because he was so amazing. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. A little anticlimactic, maybe. Um, after being proclaimed the Son of God, Jesus slept outside and didn't eat for a month and a half. And then the devil tempted, tempted him. Well, what were the devil's temptations? There were, there were uh, uh, three different times Jesus, uh, the devil came to him. Uh, uh, he had the temptation, uh, I think it was the temptation of comfort, the temptation of security, and the temptation of wealth and power. So, so the first one, uh, the devil comes and says, tell these stones to become bread. You know that you're hungry. Just, just do this. Uh, make yourself comfortable. Get what, you, what, you, what will make you feel good. Uh, you, you deserve this. Uh, the temptation of comfort. The temptation of security, throw yourself down from here. You won't, you won't strike your foot against the stone. It's this temptation of safety and security. And then all this I will give you, wealth and power, influence. 
The devil tempts Jesus with these things, and I believe he tempts us with the exact same things. Comfort, security, wealth, and power. And they sound like great things. I mean, things that we should pursue. But they can easily become idols in our lives, and, and we pursue those things instead of pursuing God. We even, we even expect these things, right? We, we look at this and we go, yeah, I mean, I would, I would expect that if I'm living a blessed life, I would be comfortable and I would be safe and secure and I would have uh, more than what I need and maybe some influence over some people, right? Uh, we, we're, we begin pursuing these things and we almost expect them and we get kind of out of sorts when we don't have them. But I, I think the problem here is that comfort and security, wealth and power, they're temporary at best, right? Comfort only lasts a while. Wealth is fleeting. Power and fame are fickle at best. And when are we ever truly secure from everything that could seek to harm us? Seeking after those things sets the bar awfully low for what we, what we expect God to do for us, really. Our human wiring leads us to long for these temporary things. Comfort, security, wealth, power. God has much greater things in store for us than, than just these temporary things. We should be longing for more things, things of eternity. I love the, uh, the quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition. We could maybe summarize that as comfort, security, wealth, and power. When infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what, it is, meant, what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the beach. We are far too easily pleased. The devil tempted Jesus with these temporary things. The devil tempts us with these temporary things. Uh, and, and Jesus saw that for what it was, and he responded in, in ways that uh, sent the devil packing. He responded in, in ways that were natural to him because he had been uh, wired uh, for, uh, for eternity and not wired for, uh, for uh, humanity. And as we see how Jesus responded to these things, I think we can catch a glimpse of what's possible as we allow God to rewire us like Jesus. First of all, Jesus responded with Scripture. And if you've read this before or had any kind of lesson on it before, you've probably, you've probably had that as the main point of this, uh, of, of, of this passage. Jesus re re responded every time to the devil with words of Scripture. He quoted uh, three different verses from, from Deuteronomy in, uh, in, in, this, uh, in this discourse with the devil. I want you to know that Jesus did not have his study Bible out there in the wilderness with all the commentary and all the... He, did, he, wasn't, he didn't take that. He didn't have his phone with the Bible app where he could look stuff up and say, Oh, you know what? You're tempting me. Maybe I can... He didn't even have a scroll. I don't believe he probably packed his scrolls with him and had the Deuteronomy scroll. My point is, Jesus knew the Bible. He'd read it. He'd studied it. He'd memorized it. He had applied Scripture's truths to his life. Scripture guided Jesus' life. I grew up memorizing Scripture. I learned verses at church. 
I attended a a Christian school and we learned verses in Bible class. At home, my parents made us memorize Bible verses. We learned songs and we made up songs and we got prizes and stars on charts and all those kinds of things. I'm not saying I wanted to do any of this, okay? I was coming at it uh, wanting to go out and play ball. But instead, in order to earn that, I, okay, and, and, and looking back on that, I am indebted to pastors and teachers and parents who were just crazy enough to think that knowing Scripture just might benefit me for the rest of my life. The words of Psalm 119 verse 11 are true every moment of every day. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Knowing Scripture, hiding God's Word in our heart is a vital part of this rewiring process. (laughs) When temptation comes, Scripture helps us not sin against God. And and although that's true, and we can say, yes, you bet, and uh, okay, yeah, the Bible... The Bible is more accessible today than it has ever been in all of human history. But we're not spending much time reading it, let alone studying it, let alone, God forbid, memorizing it, right? And then when temptations come, we can't respond well because the Word of God is not a guiding force in our lives. Netflix is not a good guiding force for your life. Sports is not a gui- I mean, go Chiefs, but the, sports is not a guiding force in your life. We haven't allowed Scripture to rewire us toward the truths of God. If, if Scripture had not been a primary guiding force of Jesus' life, he would have given in to the temptations in the wilderness. Knowing Scripture is essential to not giving in. It's part of that rewiring process. We have the very words of God, 66 books compiled over, man, a lot of years, right? And, and the, the very words of God that we have at our fingertips. It's got to form us and shape us. And in order to do that, we've got to spend time with it and we've got to wrestle with it and we've got to encounter it and engage it. And mm, you will not be rewired toward God and, uh, and toward the kingdom of God without spending time allowing scripture to do that for you. Jesus responded with scripture. It was a guiding force of his life. Jesus also responded out of his relationship with his father. This takes that whole scripture thing and goes even deeper because in responding with scripture, uh, he, was, he was really responding with, uh, the, uh, with, uh, out of the relational trust that he had with his father that the scripture pointed to, right? Uh, Jesus didn't have a relationship with the Bible. He had a relationship with the God of the Bible. Right. Uh, the scripture just points us to uh, to God. The, the Bible exists to point us to a living God, to a loving father. There was a deep, intimate, trusting relationship there that that Jesus was relying on when he faced the temptations of the wilderness. Relational trust is different than just belief in doctrine. 
Uh, doctrine is important. You've got to get your, got your, got to get your beliefs. You've got to know what you believe. Uh, we've even sung about some of that today. But, but that's secondary to the relationship with God. There are many scholars who can explain the intricacies of, of theological points and, and all of this and, and, and you get the nuances here and all that. And, and they, can, they can argue those things up one side and down the other, but they still, uh, but they can do all that and yet not have an abiding relationship with the Father. Other people may may not have all of that articulate doctrine uh, all in place in their minds, but they have a growing relationship with God, and I believe that those people will eventually get their doctrine straightened out because they're, they they have uh, that relationship with with God Himself, a loving Father who is leading them and helping them. Jesus trusted in God His Father to be present with Him no matter what He faced, and we can have that same relationship too. When we have a relationship with the Father, He walks with us through the ups and downs of life. He's right there even when we're tempted. It doesn't matter uh, what happens to me. It matters who is abiding with me. An essential step in your spiritual rewiring is having a growing, committed relationship with God. Loving Him, serving Him. You will continue to give in to temptation if you're not living in a relationship with God. We've got to have uh, not only allow Scripture to, to guide our lives, but that Scripture points us to a relationship with a living God who, who guides and directs our lives as well. Jesus responded not just by quoting Scripture or doctrine, but he, he responded because of his relationship with his Father. I, I think it was a huge encouragement for him uh, that, that at his baptism... He hears the voice of his father audibly saying, boy, son. And then he goes into the wilderness and, and it's fresh in his mind and fresh in his experience that he, this, this connection that he has with, with his father. Jesus responded with scripture. He responded out of that relationship. He also responded with self-control. I know, it's not a fun word, is it? It's hyphenated. Maybe it's two words. I don't know. We much prefer maybe self-indulgence, right? Maybe we could talk a little bit about self-indulgence instead. Right? No, in, in this world where we can have anything we want, whenever we want, uh, however we want, controlling our, ourselves seems to be outdated, maybe an old-fashioned concept, right? Uh, although, I don't know, if we're honest, I, I think if we think about the people that we look up to, it's, it's usually... The people that are self-controlled. We, we look up to folks that are, that are uh, you know, do, we think about maybe, I don't know, Olympic athletes and, and the, man, the, the self-control. They, they watch what they eat and they exercise and all the things. And, wow, they're, they're accomplishing great things. And, or maybe uh, 4.0 students or, or people that have been married for, for 50, 60 years. Wow, maybe somebody has lost a lot of weight. Man, that really takes a lot of stuff. We lift those people up. Yeah, we kind of admire that. Self-indulgent people we don't necessarily admire as a society. Usually we kind of look down on the folks that are, that are uh, uh, maybe, maybe ruined their marriage with an affair or they, they are uh, dealing with, with addiction or they're in debt uh, up to their eyeballs. And we go, oh man, they really should, should have controlled themselves. I don't know, we, we hold self-control up as, a, as a, a good thing for other people anyway, right? People should be self-controlled. Except, you know, I've got these excuses and these things, and so maybe I can't quite do that myself, but, but we hold this up as a, as a good thing. Really, I think we know that we should. 
uh, we just, it's just hard to do it ourselves. Jesus responded with self-control here. He could have given, in giving in, he would have been indulging his, his, uh, uh, himself, but instead he controlled himself. So how do we, how do we get self-control? Well, I mean, I could teach you some techniques. There's a, a lot of things. I mean, you could, uh, people talk about counting to 10, right? You, somebody makes you mad, you count to 10 before you answer, right? And so, so there we go. There's a, there's a good technique how to control yourself. Maybe that, that probably has worked sometimes. I heard one pastor mention a line kind of like this when we're when we're thinking about what we're we're doing and and we're considering doing something, trying to make a decision, and maybe it's you know maybe it's a little shady or whatever. What? Well, I need to think about well when when in the future when this is just a story that I tell, what story do I want to tell? And so I'm kind of projecting to the future and looking back. Well, what do I really? And I, you know, I think that's that's probably a great great thing to do too. It could probably keep you from making some stupid decisions at times. I'm sure you can go on TikTok or YouTube or wherever and find all sorts of self help techniques that can be effective in developing your self control and probably probably some great things. The problem is still your wiring, though. And rewiring our self-control takes more than TikTok techniques. TikTok techniques, that's pretty, I like that. Yeah, that's good. I want you to notice uh, who led Jesus into the wilderness in the first place. Verse 1 there, Matthew chapter 4, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. In Luke's account of this same thing, he goes even more detail. It says, Jesus, comma, full of the Holy Spirit, comma, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. It appears, I mean, maybe I'm I'm completely off base, but it appears to me that the Holy Spirit is the key to this whole event in Jesus' life. It was the Holy Spirit who descended on Jesus at his baptism. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit as he left the Jordan River. It was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness, and it was the Holy Spirit who gave Jesus the power in the wilderness to be self-controlled and not give in to the devil's temptation. There's a a list in Galatians chapter 5. You've probably heard about it. It's, it's a, a list of, of character qualities that the Spirit brings into our lives, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and there's nine things. The last one on that list, not last because it's least important, maybe last because it's most important, I don't know, is self-control. The Holy Spirit develops these, the, the, this in our lives. A real, lasting self-control doesn't come from self-help stuff. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was at the core of how Jesus was wired. I, I think, and I've probably mentioned this before in talking about this passage, but I think that the devil had a faulty premise when, it came, when he came to tempt Jesus. I, I think he thought that Jesus would be weak and vulnerable out there in the, in the desert, right? Uh, but Jesus wasn't weak. It says he was hungry. It doesn't say he was weak. I think Jesus was actually at the top of his game. He had just spent six weeks alone with his father with no distractions, completely devoted to him, listening closely to the, the Spirit's direction. He was dwelling on Scripture that he had studied and memorized. He was following the promptings of the, of the Spirit of God. Jesus was, was completely prepared for whatever the devil was going to bring his way. Uh, he had all the resources to resist temptation. It was, it was just how he was wired. And I still think that there are some that might say, yeah, he was Jesus. 
He's, he's God, so he's out there. He wasn't going to give in. I mean, there's, and, and in that, we're insinuating that Jesus had some sort of resources that he was relying on that it's just because he was God that he was able to resist temptation. He had these divine resources that maybe we don't have access to. But I, I want to say this plainly today, and I believe it with all my heart. The, 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 same, G, uh, the same resources that Jesus had at his disposal are available to you and me today. We just have to let him rewire our lives accordingly. We are not doomed to, to, give, to give in to temptation and sin. We are not doomed to give in to temptation and sin. Some might, well, I'm just human. It's just the way I'm wired. It's just that we are not doomed to give in to temptation and sin. If we allow God to rewire us, well, what does that look like? Well, we've got to have a relationship with him. We've got to live out of that relationship with God. We've got to commit ourselves. God, I'm going to follow you. I'm sorry about all the stuff in my past and all the things in my life. I'm so, I'm, I want to follow you. I, I want to have a relationship with you. Uh, you. You love me and you've provided for this relationship. And then I've got to allow the, the truths of Scripture to, to guide my life. I'm going to read and study and learn and plan and, and, and uh, argue with other people about it and, and discuss it and, and uh, come to church and find out more about it and all those things. I'm going to allow the truths of Scripture to guide my life as I'm living in this relationship with God. And I'm going to invite God, the Spirit of God Himself, to fill me and empower me to resist temptation. All of those things are exactly what Jesus used in order to resist temptation. And all of those things, all of those things are available to each of us as well.